1: Happy Week 15 in the National Football League. This is Doug Farrar of Touchdown Wire and USA Today's uh, Sports Media Group. And the guy over there is Greg Cosell. Uh, we're ready to talk a lot of uh, NFL matchups, as always, this week, Greg, in the X's and O's. We have Saturday football this week. Three games. We're going to talk about one of them. This is the... Yeah, Monday.
0: we do have Saturday football. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to another 3-0 game. I'm pretty excited about that.
1: We're actually going to spend the whole, like, 30 to 40 minutes breaking down uh, Vikings Raiders because it was so
0: <laughs> awesome. Needless to say, Doug, I didn't get to that tape yet. So, uh, yeah.
1: I'm disappointed, Greg, frankly. We're going to talk about the Minnesota Vikings against the Bengals of Cincinnati. And now three games on Saturday, two of them. Um have both teams have quarterbacks that they did not expect. So before we get into the games, I want to go off a little bit here. You've talked to so many coaches over so many years. When you have like now the Vikings are starting Nick Mullins, the Bengals yep. obviously have Jake Browning. When you have a guy like you know weak whatever, your guy's injured, you have to like throw the whole thing up and, and kind of reset it. Um what are the, the kind of the points that coaches have commonly told you, this is what we need to do to make this work?
0: Well, there's two philosophies about backup quarterbacks. One is to have a backup quarterback that is essentially similar stylistically to your starting quarterback. And then you, for the most part, can run the same offense. Maybe you scale it down. But in terms of concepts and principles, you're essentially running your offense. The second uh, feeling about backup quarterbacks is to have one that's totally different. Uh, In other words, let's say you have more of a pure pocket quarterback as your starter. Uh, Some coaches believe that, hey, I'd like my backup quarterback to be a guy that has great mobility because it gives us a totally different dimension and it forces defenses to have to prepare for us totally differently. So there's two philosophies there. Um, The feeling usually is when you play your backup quarterback uh, is that you want to, Scale it down to some degree. You're trying to get him comfortable early in games. And again, this does. we're not even talking about what you do during the week because you and I are not there in the meeting room, so we don't know how all this is coached and taught, but just watching tape. Um, Jake Browning obviously playing in one of the Saturday games is a great example. Um, That first game he started, um, they did such a good job, Zach Taylor and the coaching staff, of just getting him completions early with either one read or no read concepts where the ball's just out, you get a completion. They weren't worried about big plays or yards. You know, if it's a four yard gain on first and 10, hey, we'll take it, we'll go to second and six, and we'll go from there. And you could see as the game progressed and Browning obviously got completions, because he ended up the game 32 for 37, so he was obviously yeah. getting completions.
1: But you help that Chase the, Brown turned into Marshall Falk all of a sudden, good Lord.
0: Yeah, but you could see the confidence grow. You could yeah. just see, and all of a sudden, they started to call some of the things that they normally call high lows, the normal stuff that Zach Taylor and the offense do. Um, And, and you know, even the touchdown, which was in the third quarter to Jamar Chase, we sat and watched that play and said, hey, Burrow would have done the same thing. They blitzed. It was one-on-one outside the numbers. I mean that's where the ball goes. And he felt very comfortable. He saw it instantly and he made the throw that just comes from building up comfort throughout the games. Then now you're just playing. You're not thinking because you're feeling good about what's happened up to that point. So, you know, I thought that that was a really masterful job by Zach Taylor and his staff. Uh, But the larger point is, you know, different teams have different
1: philosophies
0: about what they want their backup quarterback to be. Right.
1: Well, yeah, common concepts, but I found it interesting. I, I did some uh, some number crunching. Um, in weeks 1 through 10, the Bengals ranked tw- uh, 23rd in dropbacks of pre-snap motion. Since then, they ranked 10th. They ranked 22nd in dropbacks of play action. Since then, they ranked 16th. They ranked 30th in passing snaps under center through week 10. Since then, they ranked 16th. So, a little more play action, a little more motion, a lot more under center. It's like, yeah, we're going to run our concepts, but you know, I, I tend to think that if Burrow wanted more of those things, they would have built them in. So it's interesting. yeah. And I
0: think I think the play action makes perfect sense because play action normally is what we call either or reads. Because yep. when you play action from under center, you do turn your back. And then when you get your head around the way that's, that's taught, because you can't turn your head around and try to find five people. And, right. and by the way, you wouldn't ask a quarterback to do that anyway. But normally you call a play with a route concept where you're basically telling your quarterback, hey, when you get your head around, here's the guy you need to find. So it's for the most part, it becomes an either or read. You find that guy, and if that guy, he tells you either to throw it there, or there depending on where he is so usually play action helps to define reads much more cleanly and that makes sense the other thing we've seen them do and I don't have the numbers you may uh, is screen the screen game and the yep. screen game is another great example where it's basically a no read throw you know it's a screen so um, you know that's something that they've done really well and 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 boy does it help your offense when you throw a screen and your back takes it 50 yards for a touchdown that makes everybody look really smart
1: you could not have teed me up better for that if you were Bobby Ayala. There's a Mariners reference for you. Uh, <laughs> you play that combined motion, play action, and under center was the 54-yard pass to Chase Brown against the Colts. Now, this was thrown four yards behind the line of scrimmage. This is a lot about Brown, yep. but the design made things difficult for the Colts. They were in cover three, go figure, and uh, safety Julian Blackman ran with Jamar Chase's jet motion across. The under-center play action froze linebackers Ronnie Harrison and Zaire Franklin, and cornerback Baker fell down when he tried to follow Brown's delayed flare route. Not an explosive play from Browning's arm per se, but you could tell the Bengals coaching staff have gone out of their way to make Browning comfortable. So we're using the same word there. Browning also had a 26-yard pass to T. Higgins against a Colts cover six, where he threw the ball just as Higgins broke inside 13 yards downfield. So it was a nice anticipation throw into a pocket of defenders. He looks like a guy you can build up to a point.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, he's a, he was a four-year starter in college. Obviously, he's not played a lot of football. He was a big, big-time recruit coming out of California, a, a top three quarterback recruit in the country. Um, as I said, a four-year starter at UW. You're probably familiar with him. Oh, yeah. I think it was his sophomore year. That was actually his best year. Um, never had a big arm. That's why he wasn't really drafted. Was he drafted or, or undrafted?
1: Uh, undrafted. He, undrafted. I mean, he, and, and just the performance was up and down. I, I yeah. remember when I was at NFL films, we were watching Luke Falk, and I think Browning was coming out around the same time, and it was like, mm,
0: we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the arm was an issue. You know, the feeling was that maybe his arm is just not at the NFL level. I know he's been working with a lot of people these last couple of years. Um, you know, I haven't studied him in great detail, obviously, because he hasn't been in the league. I did do him coming out of UW. Um, and I felt that he was one of those guys, you know, nice, nice college quarterback with a lot of questions about whether he could play in the NFL. Um, You know, he's in a very good system, obviously. They've got a lot of good players around him. Um, And and as I said, I think, you know, you need to – these are the situations, in my view, and you know this because we've had this conversation, Doug. I'm a big believer in coaching. And Mm -hmm. this is where the coach, to me, really helps. Because I think they've done a great job, and that's how you get a quarterback comfortable, feeling good, giving him things he can execute at the highest level possible without asking him to do things that – are somewhat beyond what, what he can execute at the highest level possible. And then you at least have an efficient offense. That's what all you're trying to do. No one is suggesting that he's Joe Burrow or that he's all of a sudden a big time NFL starter. That's not the point. Hey, if he plays great, someone might look at him and think, okay, maybe he can be a lower end starter. You know, Who knows what people will think down the road. Um, but I think you have to take into account what he's being asked to do and how he's executing what he's being asked to do. He's not being asked to do things that are are beyond what he's probably capable of doing.
1: Well, I mean, he's been in that room with Joe Burrow for all these weeks. So they, you know, he knows the route concepts. He knows what they like to run. They added some things, but I also, so it was a nice combination. It has been a nice combination from Zach Taylor and his staff. And this is where coaches earn their money of, here are our common concepts we're going to add these things but we're also if you're more comfortable under center if you like these things more than joe does we're going to adapt to what you prefer yeah i mean that's that's smart you know look
0: every quarterback whether he's jake browning or whether you're you know a veteran quarterback you know who's been in the league for a long time if you talk to any coordinator or any offensive head coach, and you probably have just as I have many times through the years, one of the things they always talk about is when you get to Friday or Saturday and they're sort of fine-tuning their game plan and the plays they want to run, they always speak to the quarterback and say, hey, what do you like? What don't you like? What, What would you like us not to call? What would you like us to take out? And, you know, when a quarterback will say, tell you, hey, I don't really feel comfortable, you know, with this play. I don't feel comfortable with this concept, you know, and then you don't run it. I mean, the last thing you want to do is call a play with a quarterback. You know, his initial reaction, even if he doesn't show it facially in the hot is oh, boy, I'm not yeah. really that, – that, that's not really working for me. That's right. the last thing you want.
1: Well, I uh, got to talk to – when Bruce Arians is the head coach of the Cardinals about a decade ago, I got to talk to Arians and Carson Palmer, who was injured a lot, and Drew Stanton, who was – Yeah. And Bruce said both to – Palmer and to Stanton, what I do, exactly what you said, Friday or Saturday, uh, what Bruce said is, what are your first 15? What do you like? Yeah. It's the first thing you did, you know, getting ready for the game. And then they would finalize everything based on that. So that's exactly what happens.
0: Yeah, and Carson Palmer at that point in his career was a veteran. And, you know, he's he's a smart guy, and he probably had clear likes and dislikes, and you do not want to call things in your game plan that he's not comfortable with.
1: Although both Palmer and Stanton in intimated that that's not always the case wherever they've been. So, you know. Yeah, I mean. both ways.
0: But, I mean, as you know, coaches do do that with quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, they do. Yeah. Uh, so Minnesota's defense. Vikings' defense has risen from 13th in defensive DVOA through week seven to second behind the Jets since then. And Harrison Phillips, a defensive tackle, I uh, was on with Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network yesterday, and he said a couple of interesting things. We're not going to get deep into Minnesota's defense, but I did want to bring up a couple of quotes that I found very interesting. Uh, Phillips said, this isn't a typical 4-3 downhill attacking defense that you see some of these guys have where it's one man, one gap. Those defenses are really easy to understand. This is more complex because it's not vanilla. Harrison, you have the A gap. You could have the front side A gap, front side B gap, back side A gap, maybe the back side B gap. These are gap schemes within that. And, oh, you might drop if we get this. We're able to get more complex and get two or three calls. When the offense checks at the line of scrimmage, we can get into our second call. When they think we're in a max look. we can go to another call. Being able to trust, you know, we talked about communication and the discipline. And this reminded me, I'm I'm listening to this and I'm transcribing it. And I went back to a certain book that somebody wrote with Ron (laughs) Jaworski the games that changed the game. And I was I'm not comparing Flores' defense to the eighty five Bears for God's sake, but there was something you brought up in that book that I'd never heard before called Blitz to Formation. Oh yeah. Yeah. How varied things could be. And I thought about that and I went back and reread it. Kind of explain because it, it it is comparable today, maybe even more so, with how varied defenses are.
0: Yeah, blitz to formation is something obviously the Bears did back. this. We're going back a lot of years now. Yeah, but I fine. think it's pretty much part of a lot of teams' approaches in defense is that if you get a, a specific formation from the offense and you don't have necessarily a blitz call as your defensive call, but if you get a specific formation, then you can blitz. You can blitz the formation because it's, it's, it's an advantageous formation for pressure because – Uh, they may not be able to pick up someone. They may not be able to, from a protection standpoint, you know, deal with it. So, you know, you blitz the formation based on on study. You know, in some ways... It's just the flip side of quarterbacks going up to the line of scrimmage with two or three calls and exactly. seeing what the defense has. And then whether it's kill, kill, kill or whatever words they use, whether it's Omaha, here we go, you know, whatever. I mean, now it's all this cool stuff, you know, whether it's Taylor Swift, who knows what they call now, <laughs> you know. But the point is, it's it's just the flip side of that, that defensively you know you see what the offense lines up in and you have you know whoever that is uh, has the ability you know on the defensive side the signal caller or someone else has the ability to yell out blue blue and and all of a sudden you're blitzing and, and which is
1: exactly what Philip said
0: you, you yeah. they go to our check we go to our check and that's correct uh, that's okay. the, that's the Hurry way up. it works i mean this, that's this you know correct. that's that's the stuff that's why it's so hard when you're watching tape you know to feel right. like you know exactly what's happening and why You know it's just one of my pet peeves you know i've been doing like i said i've been doing this a long time doug and there's so many things that you just can't possibly know and to sit here and watch tape and act like you know exactly everything that's going on you know that that is just the essence of stupidity you just can't
1: possibly know that when we get to eagle seahawks we'll get into a play i broke down for four hours and i've still not quite figured out what it is yet um so yeah the viking so good luck jake browning because as we've said over and over and over uh you never know what you're going to get from the vikings and they're doing this with a lot of like obvious alpha dogs uh ivan pace jr uh, who was one of my favorite you know he's he's doing great so it's just it's interesting how with the vikings now they've taken all that crazy petri dish oh my god what the hell are they doing stuff but now it's disciplined and now it's really fun to watch
0: yeah the vikings are a fascinating defense because um, they probably still do. They did a week or so ago. They lead the league in three man pass rush and in blitz, and, yes, you know, they, which they is a real do. interesting dynamic. Um,
1: still
0: you know, you and I can't study it in the detail that opposing offenses are studying it. I'm sure there's tendencies there that mm-hmm. offenses, you know, learn because every coach does have tendencies, including Brian Flores, even though he's incredibly multiple in what he does. Um, but he's not the first coach to be multiple either. So you know, every every t- every coordinator on either side of the ball has tendencies and you know, you and I can't, you know, we're not spending three days, you know, 24, you know, 15 hours a day, just studying the Vikings defense. If we did that, we might notice some things, but we can't do that. So all we know is that, Yeah, you watch them and you go, wow, that's pretty cool. They're only rushing three and they're doing some really cool stuff. And often they rush three from an initial six or seven man pressure front look, which really makes it difficult because as an offense, you have to account for the six or seven man pressures. So, you know, what you're hoping happens is that you end up rushing three and the offense maybe calls a max pro concept and then two receivers who were going to be in protection, all of a sudden they're like, okay, I guess I can go out in a route now, but that changes the whole route dynamic. And, yep. it, you know, so that's that's what you're looking for. Because, you know, you know how it is in this league, and I use this, this term all the time, but fractions matter in the NFL. And if something is just slowed by a fraction, that can mean a lot.
1: Paces has become one of the shot callers, and he was at uh, right tackle depth and then came over to uh, to buzz that quick slant to Devonte Adams to, uh, to submit that thrilling game that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> good player. I, you know, he was like, what, 5'10, a uh, too small, too small. Like, okay, I guess we didn't learn anything from Sam Mills and Lofa Tatupu and 40 other Well, guys. you know how that works. I mean,
0: yeah. people deal with, with percentages when they do this kind of stuff, and that, you can say that's good or bad. But, you know, the percent, it's just like with quarterbacks, OK, the percentage of what's say six foot quarterbacks who have become big stars in the NFL is low. So when you're looking at a quarterback, even if you love his college tape and you think, "Wow, I really think this guy could make it. You know, there's a little part of your brain. I, you know, I'm talking about what I've been told by a lot, you know, a lot of people that yeah. do this. And you and I do this, too. When we start watching college guys, there's a little part of your brain that says, well, six foot quarterbacks don't normally make it, you know, so. You got, you know, how do we want to deal with that? Right. You know, you know and, and and the number one example of that who's playing right now and certainly has had a good season in, in, in not very good circumstances is Sam Howell. Yep. You know, he's a six-foot quarterback who was a descending player coming out of his last year at North Carolina because he had a much better year the year before. And there were many reasons for that. We don't need to get into that now. But, you know, you still look at him and say six-foot quarterback, descending uh, college player. Yeah, I like him, but I'm not taking him in the top 50 picks, you know, and maybe he'll turn out to be a really good player. You know, I I think he's handled himself extremely well under difficult circumstances this year. But, you know, those are the kinds of things you have to think about when you draft.
1: Well, he lost his two best receivers, his two best running backs. His center was hurt for his whole last season at North Carolina. So No,
0: no, there's there's reasons, as I've said, but still, you know. (laughs) So talking about Ivan Pace, who, by the way, I've liked his tape a lot too, you know, but people look and say 5'11", you know. How many 5'11", you know, Sam Mills, Zach Thomas, but there's not 50 of those guys. So, you know, from a percentage standpoint, you think, okay, like the player, not sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a whole different conversation Maybe we can have uh, pre-draft, but um, yeah. yeah. And then when a guy makes it, you know, it's always, or
0: plays well, it's always easy to say, oh, they missed, you know, what, are people stupid? You know, that's easy,
1: you know, but, you know, there's a lot that goes into this with really smart people. And then everyone's going to look for the next Ivan Pace and all of a sudden you know, have a run on, like, really small linebackers. Right, right.
0: <laughs> Copycat right. league. Anyway, that uh, was just a little, yeah. an, an offshoot of, of chatting. Yes. So
1: Yeah. Uh, Chicago at Cleveland. Uh, Bears defense is another that has taken a massive uptick in recent weeks. They ranked 28th in uh, DVOA through week seven. They're ninth since uh montez sweat has been a huge addition to a front that was light on Edge edgetown i guess uh yannick ngakwe is now out for the season he's out for the show. year i think he broke his ankle did he know? yeah that that just came out uh on his sack of jared goff last sunday he stoned taylor decker with a nasty long arm move and sack decker and goff at the same time nice work if you can get it uh cornerback Jalen johnson since week eight 10 catches on 19 targets for 51 yards 33 yards after the catch, one touchdown, two interceptions, three dropped interceptions, three pass breakups, and an opponent pass rating of 36.4. Only Jalen Ramsey and Martin Emerson Jr., who we'll talk about in a minute, have allowed lower opponent pass ratings in that time. One interesting thing about this defense is that the Bears hired Phil Snow in mid-October to be an advanced scout and consultant, and that was right around the time that Matt Eberflew started calling the defense after Alan Williams stepped away and then resigned in September. Uh, they were introduced to scouting combine by Rod Marinelli. So Snow worked with Matt Rule at Temple Baylor and the Panthers, and he's a very op- – I've talked to people about him uh, who would know. A very open-minded guy, doesn't necessarily have one system or preferred scheme, and the fact that he was in college so often so recently can be an advantage because all these college concepts come up. And if you've been in the NFL for 20 years, you're kind of looking at his side eye going, what's that? And, and you know, so I don't know how much Snow has helped, but it might be a factor.
0: Yeah, they've played well over the last month or so. And they're an interesting team right now. Um, and this is a very intriguing game. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Justin Fields recently as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they've are they're become kind of – I guess they're technically still in the playoff hunt, which is a little – I mean, it seems like every team in the league is in the playoff 30,
1: hunt. 30 teams are still in the hunt. Uh, Patriots and Panthers are the only ones out. Is
0: that true, 30 teams? Yep. Yep. That That's is absolutely fair. crazy going into Week 15.
1: Yeah, it, it, it could drop by 10 after week 15. Right, right, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to talk about fields. The, uh, the the free play where I think it was Hutchinson jumped early and he got D.J. Moore on a, a big vert. But the 39-yard touchdown passed to Moore with four forty eight left in the third quarter. Iberflus talked about the design of this after the game. Bears had Darnell Mooney running kind of the intermediate crosser and Moore running the vert to the other side, and they had three guys just going this way. Uh So Iberflew said that was good because you got the two best players right there, guys that really are, you know, what the defense is worried about. And he made a bang-on throw with the safety converging. I mean, I know there are still things that are – but, you know. Well, basically what happened on that play,
0: more was the boundary X. and. Melifon was the safety to that side, and he basically came inside almost in a robber position. So Jacobs was stuck basically playing zero press on Moore with no safety help whatsoever, um, which was kind of an odd call on 4th and 13. Um, I think it was 4th and 13. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, Moore just ran by Jacobs, and Fields put the ball right on him. But it ended up playing out as zero man with Jacobs matched on Moore because Melifon, with being the, the safety to that side, just dropped down into what, you know, almost looked like a robber position. Mm-hmm. And um, it just – it was an easy read because at that point, it's just one-on-one with your best receiver. Yeah.
1: Fields will not have a lot of easy reads against the Browns. As we have discussed, they throw all kinds of interesting coverages at you. It's not just like, is it two or three? It's is it invert two or invert three or invert quarters or invert God knows what. Right. Let's well, yeah, see deals with that? There's always going to be someone – sitting
0: in the middle, you know, in a Jim Schwartz defense, I'm, when I say always, you know, you know what I mean? Um, Most of the time. Yeah. You know, cause he does all that invert stuff, whether it's two, whether it's three, you can debate that forever, but in either case, there's someone sitting in the middle and you have to be careful about making throws between the numbers and between the hashes. Um, so you try to work outside. Um, and you know, it's, it's A lot of young quarterbacks, it's much cleaner outside because there's not as many bodies. And defenses know that, obviously. Um, You know, we've seen that in Philadelphia. Um, And, you know, last year, Jalen Hurts made unbelievable throws outside the numbers. This year, they've been fewer. So, you know, therefore, there's not been as many big plays. But younger quarterbacks at times just don't feel comfortable working in the middle of the field because with the hash marks closer than they are in the college game, there, it seems as if there's a lot more bodies in the middle of the field and it's just not as clear a picture. So, you know, a lot of times you want to try to work outside the numbers if you can, you know, and and it wouldn't surprise me if the Bears think about that going into this game because, um, uh, again, you have to look at each one individually, but a good number of field's interceptions do come in the middle of the field. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, I I can't speak to what he sees, what he doesn't see, why he makes certain throws, why he doesn't. I'm not going to pretend to know the answer to that, other than the fact that a a number of his interceptions come in the middle of the field. So they might attempt to work outside.
1: Yeah, I would study that. Uh, After Brock Purdy's second or third start, somebody asked Kyle Shanahan – I remember writing an article about this. Somebody asked Kyle Shanahan, what what does Purdy bring – to the offense that Jimmy Garoppolo didn't. It's not to bash Garoppolo, it's just, and Shanahan said immediately, he gives us his ability to drive the ball down the middle of the field. It was really valuable then and it's really valuable.
0: Well, now. and that's a key to their offense. I mean, yes. he, again, without knowing numbers and you may have them, um, but they probably throw the ball between the numbers more than any team in the league. They'd be in the top five, I'm sure. Um, that's a, That's foundationally what they do on offense.
1: Yeah, they're up there. I think they're throwing, I think he's throwing outside a little more this year just because yeah. of who they have and well, how they line them. Uh, and but- I think he is. You know, I think they've also countered
0: a lot of those. You know, you see Ayuk now start to run routes where he starts to break inside, which obviously everybody is conscious of because they've been yep. doing that for years. And mm-hmm. then he'll break outside now. Um, yep. So, you know, I think they're they're playing off what they've done for years and years because they're trying to counter their own tendencies, self scouting, which, yep. you know, you have to do.
1: Dallas Cowboys at Buffalo Bills, and we might be seeing some wrinkles from Joe Brady in the Bills' offense. One thing I noticed just watching the Bills Chiefs broadcast on, on the red zone, uh, we discussed this yesterday. Bills were using more four strong than I remembered. Uh, the 25-yard touchdown to James Cook with 3.48 left in the first quarter. Yeah. Trent Sherfield motion left to right, which put four to the left side. It was a cool design. Cook ran a vertical route from the backfield in the slot position. Gabe Davis ran a comeback from the boundary. Dalton Kincaid ran a seam crosser, and Sherfield had the flat route to that side. It looked like the Chiefs were in quarters, and you can see safety, Justin Reed telling safety Mike Edwards to jump from the middle third to the offensive left side. Maybe that was a check adjustment, I don't know, or a motion adjustment. Well,
0: the Chiefs blitzed to the side of four strong, right. so it, it's not quarters the way you're thinking of quarters, okay. and they got they kind of got screwed up because of the four strong. Essentially, it was all go eight seam. Um, okay. That that was the that was the route concept. It yeah, they all had
1: a five man blitz through. with Willie Gay moving up.
0: Yeah, and and Connor uh, blitzed off the 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 slot from the strong side, the four strong side, and the timing of the throw beat Connor coming in clean. But mm-hmm. that's essentially what it was. And because they blitzed, and because they didn't have enough bodies to that side. My sense was the linebacker Bolton and the safety eds were, Edwards were uncertain as to what their coverage responsibilities were behind the five-man pressure because there were too many bodies to that side. That's yeah. what four-strong does versus it's zone, really, Doug. It's too many bodies. In
1: zone, it's a problem.
0: <laughs> yes, and, and certainly if you're going to blitz, so then you're even losing a body, yep. you know, because they had a five-man pressure. So I can tell you for a fact that when it's Steve Spagnuolo's defense, when it looks like quarters... It may look
1: like quarters, but it's not taught as quarters. That I know for yeah. a fact. I almost but wondered if it, if it was some sort of one high, maybe three, and then it, they tried to adjust and didn't. I don't know. Well, we'll never know that unless yeah. Bags tells you. Yeah. But, but, no, you're
0: seeing a lot more four strong in the league. That's become yes. a big trend. It is and a big deal. Part of me wonders, and this is a conversation to have after the season with coaches, with sort of the, the influx of the Vic Fangio quarters structure. Now every team that's that has a Vic Fangio disciple is not playing quarters on every snap. So I don't want people to think that's what I'm saying. But a lot of it starts with that quarters structure and their zone based defenses. Okay? Right. And
1: well just I'm to watch God Rust who watched tape with you for years in NFL films, used to tell you that at quarters you can do anything.
0: Right. But Because it's zone-based, I'm wondering if one reaction to it is this four-strong, because when it's zone-based, you've got to push everything to the side of four-strong, okay? because otherwise you don't have enough bodies. There's voids in your coverage. You don't have enough bodies to deal with the four-strong. So the flip side of that is you need a corner opposite the four-strong, which is usually the boundary side. You need a boundary corner that can play man and in some p- cases essentially play zero man even though you're not playing zero coverage in a strict sense he's got to just match up to that boundary x receiver so is that more quarters lock then well it becomes locked because you yeah. have to push everything that, to the before yeah. strong right
1: well, I did. I, I, I don't know how to track. I wish I had a way to track like every four strong play. But Man. I did go back. Man. I gave myself a homework assignment yesterday. I went back and looked at all twenty five of Josh Allen's touchdowns this season. The only other time they got a touchdown on four strong was a five yard touchdown pass to Cook against the Jets in Week Eleven, and that was Cook flurrying out of the backfield. The touchdown against the Chiefs was the first time receiver motion led to four strong. So that's right. Exciting. And I wonder now if we're going to see that more from them as we go on.
0: Because it's certainly it certainly probably out. will. I think you're going to see yeah. motion as being more of a factor in what they do. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I think a lot of teams are, are, you know, I see four strong watching tape now with a lot of teams. It's it's the Niners did an unbelievable job yeah. with four strong versus the Eagles. Uh, Not obviously not this week. They beat the Seahawks, but the week prior. Um, so I think that's something teams are going to do more of, particularly to see how zone based defenses respond to this.
1: Yeah. Uh so to the Cowboys part. AJ Brown was targeted thirteen times against the Cowboys and Dan Quinn obviously learned from what DK Metcalf did to Daron Bland to put Bland elsewhere. Brown had Stefan Gilmore on eleven of his targets, Jaron Curse on one, and Jordan Lewis on one. Bland was generally on either Devontae Smith or Dallas Goddard. What are the best receiver because I know the Eagles defense, oof, or you know, but with this Bills defense, what are the best receiver defensive back matchups here in your mind? You mean in the Cowboys Bills game? Yeah.
0: Well, the Bills are not a high percentage man-to-man defense, but that doesn't mean you you don't match up because in zone you'll match up at times as well. And we know CD Lamb lines up inside and outside, so you know. Uh, or are you talking the other side of the ball? I guess. So let's go. The uh, how other do side the Bills of the ball?
1: deal with the Cowboys offense? Basically, do they have matchups, or are they just going to have to outscore them?
0: Well. Th- th- they're not going to go into the game saying we, we just have to score more than they do. The, the defense will actually get coached and show up. Um, but but I think there's a couple of things that when you play the Cowboys now, you need to do. Number one, depending on where Lamb is in the formation, there'll be times where you probably want to bracket them or double him, whatever it is you do to have two defenders involved. But. I think the player that has really come on and you, you you know, is Jake Ferguson. And, you know, while we might not compare him to Travis Kelsey, as we're speaking now, he's become a big factor and he's shown the ability to stretch the seam. So, you know, while Lamb is clearly their number one receiver and has emerged as one of the better receivers in the league, Ferguson has become a big factor. Yes. Um, another thing that I think you have to do when you play the Cowboys. And this is something I think you will see the Bills do, because like I said, they're not a heavy man to man coverage defense. Right. Um, they don't really have the people to do that. So they don't do that a lot. Uh, this is a really
1: want Matt Milano in there. <laughs> or
0: uh, Tredavious White. I mean, obviously yeah, sure. he's not there either. Um, yeah. It's as far but, as
1: tight ends. Yeah. Right.
0: So the other thing that y- you're right. You're right. The other thing that, you know, you want to do with that with because he looks so comfortable now, is at least try to change the picture pre-snap to post-snap. Oh, you have now, to. That's not a guarantee that, that it works. You know, he's been playing for eight or nine years now, but you have to do that. He's too comfortable right now. You can't let him drop back and just feel like he can be decisive, uh, you know, as soon as he hits that back foot. So, like I said, it doesn't mean it works every play, but that has to be part of your defensive game plan approach.
1: It's something that we we not you and I, but the royal we don't talk about enough is how good and you and I have have discussed it in recent weeks. How good he is diagnosing both pre and post naps so Yeah, you, you do have to try and muddy things up, whether it works or not. You just give him that extra, you know, tick of a quarter of a second to, you know, just try something.
0: And the thing that he's done exceptionally well this year, which has surprised me, because every year he's one of the quarterbacks. Where in the summer I probably watch two hundred fifty dropbacks. And I was certain after watching him this summer, I said, he's now a drop-back quarterback. His movement ability of the last two years, and maybe it was a function of that really gruesome injury, but that his movement ability had kind of gone away. This year, he's been really, really good making secondary action movement plays, both throwing and running. And that's become a major part of their game, particularly on third down. And he's been phenomenal on third down in recent weeks.
1: Uh, Baltimore Ravens and Jacksonville Jaguars. This might be an example of the X's and O's, Chris, Greg. Two weeks ago, we, talked, we discussed how well the Jaguars' defense was playing, and since then they've lost two in a row, both to those uh, aforementioned Ohio teams. That defense has really fallen off. Uh, Joe Flacco's 30-yard touchdown pass to David Njoku with 11.45 left in the first quarter. Jags were in a zero blitz on third and one. And Njoku ran right by Rayshon Jenkins and Devin Lloyd for a wide-open score. I'm thinking Lloyd was supposed to carry him. Well, you're 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 talking about on on
0: on the third and one, the short yardage play? Yeah.
1: Where they it looked like yeah, they I think
0: that was it. Lloyd. I know the play.
1: Yeah, I think that I, was Lloyd. I'm pretty sure it was Lloyd. And then on Flacco's 30-yard touchdown pass to in, in Joker with 13:46 left in the second quarter, the Jaguars are in cover three, and Joker ran right through the middle of Jacksonville's defense to become open once again. Well, that See, was a different play. See, yeah, that
0: was that, that was second and five. Okay, Right. Um, that was a two by two set, and Joko was attached to the boundary, um, and um, the Jaguars rushed five. Safety Jenkins was the fifth rusher. Right. The Browns went what we call bang play action, quick play action with gap scheme run action. And Aluakin just reacted hard to the pulling offensive guard Teller. And I guarantee they knew because Aluakun is is a very reactive player. That's right. why he gets a ton of tackles. So they probably knew that, which is why they did that particular run action. And Lloyd was passing off. They played essentially man, but Lloyd was passing off in Joku um, uh, to Aluakun, but Aluakun had stepped into the line of scrimmage because of the run action. So right. there was no one there that he was passing him off to. But that that was a specific play, and
1: it wouldn't surprise me if if that was meant to attack Aluakun. Yeah, you could see Aluakun and Lloyd kind of pointing at each other, going, "What? What?" And you never want to see that. Uh, it Trevor and catch because of the way it played out. Yeah, uh, Trevor Lawrence threw three interceptions against the Browns, and each of them were just off, they seemed. And, and Doug Peterson said after the game, like, we're not really lined up. We're not aligned on either side of the ball right now. Um, so not the best time to have to deal with the Ravens, Greg.
0: No, the Ravens are a fun defense to watch, as we know. We've discussed them, so we don't need to yeah. go into detail again. Right. Um, but, no, the, the Ravens are a really solid team. I thought Lamar Jackson played well this week. Um, yeah.
1: You that know, Rams but, game was something else. That was that was that
0: fun. was fun game. That was yep. fun game. Um but yeah, no, the, the, the Ravens are a good team and I think defensively they I, I love a lot of the things that they do. I love the way they use Kyle Hamilton. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think to me, look, defensive linemen are always defensive linemen. And by the way, I think your Davion Van Clowney is having hands down the best year of his career. He looks like a different player. I mean, when they signed him, you know, and the reason he's with his fifth or sixth team is because he hasn't been a pass rusher most of his career. This year, he's become a really, really good pass rusher, and he's become a big factor as a one-on-one pass rusher. So he's been really good. But but again, he's still a defensive end who's going to rush the quarterback. I think, to me... The key to their defense are three players because they can, they're can they being deployed in multiple ways. It's the two linebackers, Queen and Smith, and the safety slash slot corner Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those three guys really give them tremendous versatility in how they can play.
1: You know, when you describe Clowney that way, and you've done so before, what it reminded me of just there was when Matthew Judon went from the Ravens to the Patriots, and he was all over the place with the Ravens. And when he got to the Patriots, Belichick said, yeah, you're just on the edge, buddy. Go eat the quarterback. And that's exactly what he did.
0: Yeah, Clowney's been phenomenal. He looks different to me. Again, I don't know whether his body type's different. He just looks leaner, thinner, kind of more sinewy. He's never been a true bender, but I think this year he's more flexible than he's ever been. You know, he's never going to be confused for the guys that really can bend the edge, you know, get really low. But he just looks like a better athlete this year. I've been, you know, again – the tape tells me about these guys. You know, there are a lot of people think when I talk about players, oh, you don't like this guy. That has nothing to do with anything. When I watch tape, you know, <laughs> zero like to do with
1: anything. Jeez.
0: Yeah, but yeah. Clowney just looks really good this year. Looks like a different player, and it's, it's yeah. really impressive to watch him.
1: And this is my weekly uh, Justin Madden weekend. Go watch that guy because he's ridiculous. Yeah, he's a good player, too. Oh, boy. Philadelphia Eagles at Seattle Seahawks, and as your buddy Sal Pal likes to say, this is the most important game of the week because I'll be there. Well,
0: he won't uh, be there this week because it's in yeah, Seattle.
1: But Hi, Sal, uh, but I will be there. Uh, Pete Carroll has not been happy with his defense, and he called out multiple players for busted assignments after the loss to the 49ers. Talked specifically about the safeties, which means that Jamal Adams and Jordan Love are on notice because Carroll doesn't do that, like, ever. Uh he said the 49ers do what they always do. He had they had practiced to stop it all week, they just couldn't do it. Uh base defense shouldn't have been the issue, it was because they practiced that every week. The Seahawks have dropped from 18th in defensive DVA in week through week seven to 31st since. They were busting from the first play of the game where the McCaffrey 72-yard run. And I will say this: I mean, not the you know, Seahawks defense being what it is. I thought the Niners, just a real quick, I thought that might have been the best game their offensive line has played. I, I was, you know, watched just really impressive everything. Um, and yeah, then, I mean, I
0: to me the Niners kind of look the same every week with yeah. very few exceptions. Um, you know, there's always a bad game or two. Every team has that. There's it's a long season. Um, but um, yeah, when you when the game starts with a 72 yard run, you know, uh, on an outside toss play at a 21 in the straight eye, and and you don't. You know, deal with it very well. That's not a real good start, given that that's kind of what the Niners do.
1: Yeah, Pete was unamused. Uh, While well, John Feliciano took Leonard Williams and Jamal Adams out, left guard Aaron Banks got hands on Jordan Brooks and Quandary Diggs. The rest of the line just slid everyone else around. It was like they were hydroping. You're
0: talking about the 72-yard run? Yeah,
1: it was like, Wow. <laughs>
0: Yeah the 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 key block there in terms of just point of attack one on one was Williams versus Edwards because yep. that's the one on one key block at, on the line of scrimmage at the first level. Right. Yep.
1: Seal yeah. here, seal here and in the alley. There you go. But uh, they
0: um yeah their defense I mean you know uh look, they know their players better than I. Maybe there's changes coming based on what Pete Carroll said. Um I would say that And and I know way less than they do. You know, I want to make that clear because I'm not there. But just watching tape, I struggle to understand why they play Jamal Adams every snap, because I don't think he's that kind of player. And, and, you know, I'm curious to see as they play Philly, who has their own set of offensive issues right now, um, I'm curious to see if that's the case again this week.
1: Well, when we talk about teams like the Vikings and the Ravens, where, I mean... I'm not saying they're ordinary players, but you don't have, like, 12 alpha dogs. You know, it's not the Legion of Boom where you can just run three and one every, and, and you're going to win. Those teams are a- accelerating the talents of their players. I think with the Seahawks is kind of the inverse right now. and That's worrisome. And it's, it's not everyone, but it's a lot of guys.
0: Uh, well, you know, They have to get well this week. You know, Like I said, the Eagles have their own set of issues right now. But, you know, this is kind of the Seahawks season.
1: Yeah, uh, and the pretty fifty-four yard touchdown pass to Samuel with eight, the the one everyone's talking about, where Samuel on the clear out route. And everyone's blaming Adams. I mean, yeah, he was a problem, but there were other problems because you know Purdy should, based on what the Seahawks were trying to do, Purdy shouldn't have been able to read Samuel's clear out route. He should he should have take had to take Jennings on the the. Well, that, Jennings
0: is the primary read. Adams was the issue because he he. Jennings was the primary read. He ran the curl right, right at the sticks, and yes. and Purdy just saw Adams totally flat-footed, yep. and that was high-level quarterbacking because that Jennings was open. He could have thrown the ball to Jennings, and nobody would have said anything, but he just saw. And, and this is one of the things that makes Purdy so good is his ability as he's taking the snap and seeing the defense, whether it's late rotation or whether he just sees body position of players, he is able to respond in a second. And he just saw the body position of Adams totally flat-footed, and he knew that he had Samuel running the over route on top of Jennings, and he said, I'm taking that. And yeah. so, you know, Adams was the reason he made that throw.
1: Oh, of course, yes. I'm I'm not – I'm not absolving Adams in that case. I'm just saying there were other factors. I don't know why if you're going to, you know, it's third and 11, you want a shorter throw. Okay. You're dropping both of your ends and you're so it's like a four on six in because Kittle uh, stayed in to to clip before he ran his route. So it's four on six in the offense's favor. You know, it's like, what are you doing? I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, can the Eagles exploit this where their offense is now in a general sense? Like, where is the Eagles' offense now? Because I think <laughs>
0: – I don't know. Right now, it's probably in South Philadelphia. Okay.
1: Cool. Uh, <laughs> podcast over. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, the Eagles, you know, they have their own set of issues right now. I mean, and, and to me, these are – these are more these are larger macro issues that I yeah. see. I mean, the Eagles because they have talent in any given week can be great. They could go into Seattle and if Seattle still having is still having defensive problems, the Eagles could put up 35 because they've got a quarterback that can make plays anytime. They've got two really good wide receivers, they've got a top 5 tight end. While their O-line hasn't been quite as snap to snap dominant as a year ago, it's still a high level O-line. So the Eagles in any given game can be great. Um mm-hmm you know they're just a team that's that's interesting to watch because you, you know they use motion the fewest of any team in the league. They're a very static offense. Um did they again,
1: use more motion with Steichen last year? Is this a um they're
0: not a big motion team. So I don't so know the that's, answer to that's that. More I, that. That that may be a Sirianni thing. I don't know the answer to that because okay. as I said I'm not involved in their meetings. Sure. Um you know obviously they've last year uh they relied tremendously on Hertz's run dimension to dictate how defenses would play. Oh, the QB run, run game
1: tied everything together. It tied the pass and the run game. Yeah. It right. um, was a huge thing. Yeah, You know, but
0: but defenses, I'm sure, spent particularly teams in their division, but, but teams on their schedule probably spent a lot of time, you know, really studying that, and that hasn't been as big a factor. Um, you know, so you have to decide, um, you know, what that means as far as your offense, uh, you know. Do you, do you need to sort of change and, and find more schematic ways to attack and break down coverage without Hertz's running being your starting foundation? Again, these are questions. I'm not saying that yeah. they're doing a bad job or a good job, yeah. you know, but these are questions that they have to answer because they haven't been as efficient at times this year as they as they were a year ago, for instance.
1: And this could be a forty-two to thirty-five game because the last time we saw Geno Smith, who is estimated to play, uh, he was torching the Cowboys with some really nice throws. So this could be a barn burner.
0: Yeah, no, this this could be. I mean, this could be. It's two teams that you know, obviously the Eagles are are you know not playing well on either side of the ball, and Seattle is what they're, they're six and seven now, right? I believe so. Yeah, so they they need this game.
1: Mm-hmm. Very much so. Okay, Greg. Uh, we so yeah, that's uh, a lot of good stuff. a lot of, a lot of great, games. yeah, a lot of good stuff. It, you know, we're starting to feel a thing at the back of your head, which is playoffs and all that. So it's it's uh, it's really cool, and uh, we'll be talking more X's and O's next week. Thank you, my friend. Uh, once again, thanks, Doug. Appreciate it.
0: Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of. Uh,